Take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 19. Of course, two weeks from now, as we've already been told and as we've anticipated for many, many months, will be the dedication and opening of the Word Over the World Auditorium on Burn the Chaff weekend. I thought tonight we'd take a look at some of the background principle in preparation for that day two weeks from now in burning the chaff in our lives. In the Word of God, in the book of Hebrews, the last verse of the 12th chapter, it says that our God is a consuming fire. We see throughout the Word many times God figuratively is referred to in the sense of fire. His works are referred to in the essence of fire and the properties of fire and what that does in consuming, burning, cleansing. In Genesis 19 is the first occurrence of the word fire. And it's in reference to our good friends Sodom and Gomorrah, whose works are real popular today also. In Genesis 19, verse 24, Then the Lord reigned upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He cleansed the earth of the wickedness, the debauchery, the garbage spiritually that Sodom and Gomorrah represented and manifested in Exodus 13. And he did it from, with a fire from heaven. In Exodus 13, we see one of these ways in which God made himself known to the children of Israel. In the Old Testament, of course, he had to come into concretion so many times. And so many times when he did, it was in the perspective of fire. In Exodus 13, in verse 21, And the Lord went before them, Israel, by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of what? There it is again, to give them light. So this pillar of fire gave them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, from before the people. In chapter 24, fire at times is used in the sense of judgment, like we read in Genesis 19.24. Here it's used in the sense of providing light, providing direction and enlightenment, as we read in Exodus 13. Here's another verse that shows it as a manifestation of God, God coming in concretion to the people in Exodus 24. Verse 15, And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory, glory means manifested power, and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. The sight of the glory of the Lord, the manifested power of the Lord here was set in the context of fire, devouring fire. The glory, the manifested power of the Lord in fire. In chapter 29 of Exodus, many, many of these in the Old Testament, Many of them used, when we get into the law, the tabernacle, the temple, the offerings, and this sort of thing. Here is one that is like so many scriptures referring to the offerings. These offerings were made by fire. And in Exodus 29, verse 18, And thou shalt burn the whole ram upon the altar. It is a burnt offering unto the Lord. It is a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So we see the Lord appears as fire in judgment, sending fire. We see he shows his presence and guidance and enlightened eyes to the children of Israel by being the pillar of fire. We, show the we see the glory of the Lord being shown as a devouring fire. And the people in response were to make offerings by fire unto the Lord. 
Great symbolism here. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, we'll be back to the Old Testament to look at a few more, but now look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. See, the whole word fits, and all of this makes tremendous sense symbolically and spiritually when we see scriptures like Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of the Lord in the Old Testament was many times in the essence of fire. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory, manifesting that glorified presence of God in Christ, in us, in our lives. In Luke 3, verse 15, And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, he set them straight, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with Panumahagion, Holy Spirit, and with what? This used in reference to the baptism spiritually that Jesus Christ would make available. And as we know in Acts 1-4, Jesus said, John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with Holy Spirit, Panumahagion, bringing to full fruition this prophetic utterance of John the Baptist. And symbolically, this new birth as we know it today, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, this immersion spiritually is symbolically referred to as fire. Fire. Whose fan, verse 17, is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. We refer to the day as burn the chaff, to get rid of the excess, the waste, that which does not contribute to the essence of our lives spiritually. It's the fire that burns that chaff. Now we go back to the Old Testament. No, 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 no. Acts 2. Let's read Acts 2 here. Because this then is the day of Pentecost. And how tremendous that God appeared, gave the symbol, the phenomenon to the apostles in tongues like as a fire. And many of you have seen the Pentecost painting, the visual representation of what Dr. Werwell knows in his heart that day had to look like it was a fire from above. And then it broke into 12 sections on the 12 apostles. The fire from above representing God. Again, symbolically pictured as fire. He is a consuming fire. That's not just in the essence of judgment. That's also in the essence of burning up the chaff in our lives. The fat, the flab the excess that doesn't contribute to the spiritual muscle that an athlete of the Spirit needs. And in Acts 2, verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, very great familiar section, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, as of a heavy breathing, the text. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them, appeared unto them, the twelve, this phenomenon, cloven tongues, like as of what? Initiated from the source of fire, God, the top fire. God, who in the Old Testament was called the devouring fire, the pillar of fire, the glory of the Lord appearing as fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the fire of God in Christ in them, energizing the flame of inspiration, Holy Spirit within them. And they were all filled with the gift, Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now we go back to Leviticus chapter 6, see some other things. The whole word fits. All of these great records on fire tie into what we have in the church epistles today. Our offering by fire unto the Lord today is to speak in tongues, to give our lives totally. We are to be living sacrifices, living energy to the Father, 
He provides the energy that makes us living epistles. We in turn utilize that energy within to love and worship and honor Him. And the hotness and the glow and the devouring nature of that fire works within us, burning the chaff out of our lives and minds as we go to this Word and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Our offering to Him by fire is to worship Him in spirit and in truth. He has given us the fire on the inside. Even in our language today, that symbolically is magnificent. To give us the fire of the inspiration of truth on the inside. In Leviticus 6, we see in reference to the altar of the tabernacle. In verse 12, And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be what? Put out indicating the eternal presence of the Father, constant, constant, it shall not be put out. And the priests shall burn wood on it every morning, start their day in worship, and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. Aren't you glad you don't have to get up every morning, start a fire to worship God? The fire is within, God in Christ in you. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. The fat is burned off. Likewise in our lives, the excess, the flab mentally and spiritually that keeps us from traveling light as an athlete of the Spirit is burned off. This is true spiritually as we speak in tongues and operate the manifestations. It's true mentally as we renew our minds to the Word and get rid of the excess items in our lives in our homes that keep us from being the best and send out the negative impulses of the enemy. In verse 13, the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar, it shall never go out. God is constantly watching over us. He constantly reminds us in manifestations that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The word says God is faithful. It says it is impossible for God to lie. All of this indicated that the fire on the altar was to never go out. The constant presence of God in Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now in chapter 13, we take it into the category of burning out the gangrene, the poison, the excess. We are to travel light being anxious for nothing, worshiping the Father, staying our minds, taking life on one challenge to the next, and our lives a living epistle of the fire of God. Now in Leviticus, this section deals with a very real problem they would face at times in disease, in leprosy. And we see great symbolism spiritually to how God taught them to take care of the disease of leprosy within the people. Second Timothy talks about words that are contrary to the word of God that eat like a gangrene, like a cancer, that eat away on people's minds and lives. The adversary sends what the word calls his fiery darts of the wicked. Fiery darts are those logic systems, frameworks of thinking, words, arrangements in the physical realm, philosophies, theologies, and doctrines of devil spirits, like 1 Timothy 4.1 says. Doctrines of vanities, like Jeremiah 10.8 says. Now these doctrines are utilized by the enemy to infiltrate our minds and lives and bodies. And he does it by any way possible to move into our homes, books, tapes, records, magazines, even clothing, even jewelry, other categories, things that are hung on walls, art pieces. Everything gives off something. Everything is either blessed by the true God or cursed by the adversary in utilization. Now, no one can technically walk into your house and tell you what to burn. We teach the word, people make up their own minds. Because each one of you individually is a tabernacle before the Father. And you're responsible to keep your fire burning. You're responsible to keep your fire pure and cleansed 
and your offerings made by fire, honest and pure before the Father. But the principles are here. That's why on burn the chaff day, it's burn the chaff. It's not uh, give away the chaff. It's not share the chaff. It's not baptize the chaff. Bless the chaff. Burn a candle on the chaff. It's what? Burn it. Burn it. Bring it to ashes. Just like in the logic of capital punishment, which if you've been around any time much, you know that Dr. Rolls taught us. Murder is a devil spirit. So when a man that's a murderer is executed, that devil spirit no longer has a home to live in. And a devil spirit without a home can't do much. Spirits have to work via the senses realm, just like Holy Spirit. A devil spirit without a home has got to get busy and get one if he's going to function. Now, in the sense of capital punishment, a man is executed, that spirit's got to go find a new home. More than likely he will, but at least for a while he doesn't have one, and at least it isn't in the same guy. And you can't rehab a devil spirit. They don't change, you see. Likewise, in physical items, spirits move, infest, and travel via physical implements in the world. Paintings painted with egotism and vanity and pride and bitterness in heart are opened up to spirit infiltration, and that's how they get into homes. Books that are written with that perspective. Tapes that are made, records that are made. Devil spirits move on physical items. That's how they move. They don't just blow around in the wind. They move on physical items. Now in the class, the advanced class, Dr. Earl teaches this. And in the class I did last summer on dealing with the adversary, the new game by Mattel, I teach it also on how men born of the seed of the serpent are the ones that manipulate and move these fiery darts and move these spirits into people's lives, homes, on their bodies via this infiltration and infestation. Each man or woman before God is responsible to see that that which is in his home and that he or she wears on his or her body is blessed before God. It's something that you know is a blessing to your life and that's for you to decide. Some things are pretty obvious. Most things aren't so obvious. You before the Father have to make up your own mind. It's somebody else's home and you got yours. That's why through the years I've heard Dr. Earl say when he hears people say that she's just a housewife, sends chills up and down his spine because a housewife is a magnificent spiritual responsibility. The Word of God says the woman in Titus 2.7 is to be the guardian of the home. She is to spiritually oversee that home. And that takes operating nine manifestations if you want to do it right. That takes knowing what gets in that door and what doesn't get in that door. And what gets fried and what gets burned. <laughs> What gets broiled and what gets baked, I guess. It's like the guy said his wife treated him like a Greek god. She offered him burnt offerings every morning. <laughs> that isn't what I was talking about. She told him to take out the garbage. He said, you cooked it, you take it out. But I'm sure that doesn't happen in any of your homes, but the woman is to be the guardian of the home and to watch over it spiritually. Well, here in Leviticus 13, this is tremendous. I thought it really bless you to see this in verse 47. The garment, talking about a garment here. And garments can carry spiritual leprosy. It depends on the attitude and heart in it being made and then in it being bought and why. Now, you can get ridiculous about this and say, well, anything not made by a believer, I'm not going to wear. Well, you ain't going to wear much. <laughs> You're not. What is your attitude and heart and spiritual attitude in purchasing the garment? If there happens to be anything stinky spiritually in it, that's cleaned out quickly. If it fits with your heart, your logic, your body, your purposes, it can be cleaned out. It's a, it's a walk of maturity and believing. You don't hide your head in the sand and refuse. See, that's silly. That's silly. 
It's a balance of logic. But it take, look how this word's to be in our life in every decision we make. What's your motive and logic and purpose in purchasing things? If it's of God and for the Lord and for the Father, you clean it out. It's blessed in the name of Jesus Christ. There ain't no stinking devil spirit in my suit. I'll guarantee tell you. Those suckers don't hang around me because I'm a living doggone epistle and I burn their heads off. And if we decide to buy something, it's because of God in Christ in our heart and attitude and our logic behind it. But there are things that can sneak in on us at times. Even the best of us, there are things that can sneak into our homes. And it's just a good time every year to take another checkup. A good time. And especially to teach this principle to our new people. And then learn to walk this way day by day. The garment also that the plague of leprosy is in. Whether it be a woolen garment or a linen garment. Whether it be in the warp or woof of linen or of woolen. Whether it whether in a skin or in anything made of skin. And if the plague be greenish or reddish in the garment, this is really specific, or in the skin, either in the warp or in the wolf or in anything, anything of skin, it is a plague of leprosy and shall be showed unto the priest. And the priest shall look upon the plague and shut up it that hath the plague seven days. And he shall look on the plague on the seventh day. If the plague be spread in the garment either in the warp or in the wolf or in a skin or in any work that is made of skin, the plague is a fretting leprosy or an eating away. There's life in it. It's moving. It's eating away. It is unclean. That priest is to recognize that. He shall therefore what? Burn, not wash it. Burn it. That's how you cleanse things. That's how you get the poison out of the camp, out of the home. Burn it. That garment, whether warp or wolf, in woolen or in linen, or anything of skin wherein the plague is, for it is a fretting or eating away, it shall be burnt in the what? Reduce it to ashes. Cleanse. Burn. Burn. There are those things that move spiritual leprosy that need to be burned that eat away at the spiritual health and vitality of our lives. That needs to be eliminated, burnt. And if the priest shall look and behold the plague be not spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the wolf or in anything of skin, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing wherein the plague is. Don't burn it if you can use it. And he shall shut it up seven days more. And the priest shall look on the plague after that it is washed and behold, if the plague have not changed his color, it's another checkpoint, and the plague be not spread, it is unclean. Thou shalt burn it in the fire, it is fret inward, whether it be bare within or without, and if the priest look, and behold, the plague be somewhat dark after the washing of it, then he shall rend it out of the garment, or out of the skin, or out of the warp, or out of the wolf, and if it appears still in the garment, either in the warp, or in the wolf, or in anything of skin, it is a spreading plague. Thou shalt burn that wherein the plague is with fire. In Deuteronomy 4, if God is that specific about a garment, how specific is He in the operation of discerning the spirits? That's pretty tremendous. If God is that specific and that detailed in pointing out the points to be recognized in the contamination of a physical garment, how wonderful this manifestation of discerning of spirits really is when God gives us the necessary information concerning the presence or non-presence of spirits and the identity of those spirits present. And if evil, whether we may cast them out. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, wanted to read this. For the Lord thy God is a consuming what? Even a what? He's a jealous God and I'm thankful for that. You ought to be thankful for that. He cares about you and about me. He's jealous. Anyone tries to mess with us, he gets upset. That's that great figure, anthropopoeia. Human qualities being given to the Father. He's a jealous God. And I'm thankful for that. In that jealousy is His great love. He loves for us, fights for us, and protects us. 
And anyone or anything that tries to harm us, he takes a stand. But we must recognize the word and allow the Father the opportunity to be the cleansing fire in our lives, spiritually, physically, and mentally. That's why we burn the chaff. Verse 33. Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as thou hast heard and lived? How blessed you are, Israel, he's saying. Has any other people heard the voice of God out of the midst of the fire? Well, how blessed we are today as the Israel of God today, the church of the body, the born-again believers made of Judean and Gentile. We have heard the voice of God out of the fire. We have seen the accuracy and integrity of the Word regarding the Holy Spirit field. We have been given the ability to speak in tongues the wonderful works of God, interpret and prophesy and operate the other six. Or if God is saved to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation, by temptations, by signs, and by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm, and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes, unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God, there is none else beside him. Out of heaven he made thee to hear his voice, that he might instruct thee, and upon earth he showed thee his great fire. And thou heardest his words out of the midst of the what? We understand the word out of the midst of the fire. The fire of God in Christ working within us is what enlightens our eyes of understanding to really understand this truth. It's more than just an academic perusal that moves the great logic and symmetry and wisdom of the word in our hearts. It's the fire of God in Christ working within us Nine manifestations, that perspective, that heart, that ability, energized within us, quickening our mortal bodies, the genuine electricity of our lives, Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Second Thessalonians, we see in perspective of the hope, this great comparison to fire is again used throughout the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. It talks about the eyes of the Lamb in Revelation like as a fire. All kinds of fire burning up the adversary's kingdom. you got a lake of fire in the, in the book of Revelation. Tremendous the symbolism with fire. Fire cleanses, consumes, gets rid of the negative, gets rid of the poison. We know that even in the physical sense. Gets rid of it so that Life can be lived freely without that weight. Burns the flab. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. This is the referred to as the second coming when Jesus Christ comes back to earth with the angels and with the saints. In flaming what? taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction, which means total and complete ruin from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Tremendous things that we continue to work. All through the years we've heard the preachers holler about hell, fire, and brimstone. And that unbelievers are tormented eternally in hell. Well, we've been working some things that indicate some questions that Dr. Wirrell asked years ago. How do we know that it's an eternal torment? What I understand about fire is that eventually whatever's in there gets destructed. It's burnt and destroyed. This word destruction means total and complete ruin. All the preachers have told us you're going to fry in hell for eternity. Not so sure the Word teaches that. We're still working it. We're a research ministry. But there's plenty of scriptures that seem real clear to me that indicate that that lake of fire in which unbelievers will be cast is a fire of annihilation, destruction. Even the phrase second death tells us something. The Word calls it the second what? Death. And by definition, death is the gravedom, a place of no consciousness and no awareness. 
Well, that's a side point that I got excited about this last week. One of our research groups is working that. That'll be reporting at our research weekend in March at the Indiana campus. Plenty of things to learn. And a great way to work the word is listen to what tradition says and then believe the opposite and prove it. Just about everything those meatheads have said about any subject is wrong once you get to proving it. They do us a doggone favor. It's great. Simplifies life for you. Just listen to a preacher one Sunday and believe the opposite. You probably get blessed out of your socks. Whether you know what the word says or not yet. See, Those guys couldn't find their rear end in the dark with both hands when it comes to the word of God. We're supposed to be living epistles. So I got one preacher was talking to the little Sunday school class. And he said to the class, well, why do you think everyone in the city thinks I'm such an example of a Christian? He was sort of beating his breast. Why do you think everyone in the city thinks I'm such an example as a Christian? One little old six-year-old boy raised his hand. He said, yes, Jimmy. Jimmy said, because they don't all know you? <laughs> well... 2 Kings 23, let's look at an illustration of burning the chaff. I call this guy God's John Wayne. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, chapter 23. A tremendous king by the name of Josiah. He didn't monkey around. Kings before him had messed around, allowed all kinds of idolatry to infest the country, infest the household of God's people. Now that's what you got to see in this. What he was burning down and knocking down and frying was what he was responsible for. I'm not responsible for the way them unbelievers live. They put up all these devilish piles of junk on college campuses and in public squares and call it artwork. Those things practically infested with devil spirits. They're calling them in. You might as well blow your whistle, invite them all. Come on in, Rover. Come on in, Belurker. Come on in, Jealousy. Come on in, Bitterness. Come on in, Depression. That's all, but I don't own that public square. That don't belong to me. What belongs to me and my responsibility is, first of all, my home, my house. That's I can burn any darn thing I want to. Belongs to me and it belongs to you, and you run it the way you should run it before God. None of anybody else's doggone business. Next, as a leader in the body, I'm responsible to teach by my example and by my teaching. Now that's what Josiah is doing. He's not walking around kicking down things in the community that don't belong to him or aren't under his jurisdiction. Now he happens to be the king, so that puts him in a good position right here. But the point is, he wasn't sticking his nose into other countries. This was Israel. He was taking care of cleaning out the household, and that's all we're concerned about. You, and you being blessed. The rest of the world can fry in their fat if they want to. We're concerned about you being blessed. That's who we teach. Let them make up their own mind uh, what kind of devil spirits they want to wrap around their head. 2 Kings 23. Seven times in here, Josiah burns. Verse 4, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal, that pagan god, and for the grove, idols, and for all the host of heaven. Host of heaven is the devil spirit realm. They had an idol to worship every spirit. Still goes on today. You got saint this, saint that, saint the other. Hang them around your neck, put them on your dashboard, tattoo it on your bicep, put it on your t-shirt, wear it on the back of your jean jacket. Same thing. You got horoscopes in newspapers, people living by the stars, just devil spirits having a grand old time. And he, he did what? He burned them. He burned them and he did it outside of the city of Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. And he put down the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained. God didn't. The kings of Judah did. They ordered a $10 certificate from Florida and they were ordained. Had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah. And in the places round about Jerusalem, them also that burned incense unto Baal, worshipped their pagan gods by offerings of burning to the sun and to the moon and to the planets, the constellations of the zodiac, 
and all the hosts of heaven, the spirit realm. Just like today. Tremendous. The adversary is so bold today, you hardly need to teach this verse at all. Just read it and let people make up their own minds. It's clear as day right there. Where these bird brains are coming from to move all this jive. And the reason it's got energy to it and reaches people is because there's spirits that move with those books. With those films. With those... Spirits move with it. That's why it's got energy. It doesn't have any energy to it if it's just words on a page. It's got energy because spirits are with it. And when you get in that class on dealing with the adversary, we also see how fantastic it is that spirits can even hitch a ride on verbalized words in the senses realm. It isn't just that they can hitch a ride on a book, a tape, a painting, a piece of jewelry, or a piece of clothing. They do that. Or a physical body that's possessed. They actually hitch rides into people's lives, brains, and homes on verbalized words of men and women sold out to the adversary. It's in the sense, a words in the senses realm. Aren't my words in the senses realm? They're no more or less senses realm than this book, right? Makes no difference to a spirit. A spirit can travel on verbalizations as clearly as it can travel on something that we call physical. The words I speak are just as physical as this. From a pure law point of view, just as physical in the senses realm. It's quite a fight we're in. It's fantastic. Nice to know something about it. So we can back off, take on the enemy, and crock him right where it hurts, right in his loins, whatever they're girt with. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord. Penis. Penises all over the joint, just like today. They're on churches all over the place. Steeples. That's, what they, that's where a steeple comes from architecturally. The groves, the worship of the penis. From the house of the Lord without Jerusalem under the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and stamped it to small to powder and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people because that idolatry had led to the deaths of these people. And he broke down the houses of the Sodomites. Today we protect their rights. We give them jobs. They run the government or other things. Break down the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the grove. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba and break down the high places of the gates that were in the entering end of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on a man's left hand at the gate of the city. Boy, they had it all set up in the community. They had tremendous developed culture, all based on idolatry. Look at verse 11. And he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the sun. They had dedicated them to the worship of the sun, not S-O-N, at the entering in of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melek, the chamberlain, which was in the suburbs, and burned the chariots of the sun with fire, doing some burning. And the altars that were on the top of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, did the king beat down and break them down from thence and cast the ashes, is the text. So he's doing some burning. Cast the ashes of them into the brook Kidron to wash it away, to wash out all remembrance of it, symbolically and physically, to get rid of it. Verse 14, and he brake in pieces the images, the statues, the paintings, the medallions, the pendants, the Ouija boards, and cut down the groves and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, had made, both that altar and the high place he brake down and what? Burned the high place and stamped it small to powder. I'd say he's turned on. And burned the grove. And then in verse 24 we read, he did some other burning in here. Seven times in this chapter he burns. Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem. He was taking care of the household. He wasn't messing with anybody else's country. That wasn't his job. 
wasn't his concern. He was concerned about God's people. Did Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. He was doing all this based on the word, the written word that was found which we hold forth. Now the great New Testament equivalent is in Acts 19. As many of you know in Acts 19. But on the revelation which we read, they based their actions in Acts. They had that revelation. When they got into digging that word out, Paul must have taught them these records from the school of Ephesus, school of Tyrannus in Ephesus. Just like we teach today, if you want the word to move great in your life and to move over your community and area, you and I have to take the responsibility to burn the chaff, to travel light, to burn the flab and the excess off that doesn't contribute to us positively and spiritually. In Acts 19, verse 8, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing, meaning speaking with winning words and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he got rid of that chaff too, just moved out. He departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus, took it to another institution, a non-religious place, set up a school and started teaching, set up a center of training. And this continued by the space of two years so that all they which dwelled in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Judeans and Gentiles, Greeks. They all heard the word. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. And then he had to teach them to burn the junk because if they didn't burn the junk, those evil spirits would come right back. They'd get a ride right back into their homes, working on their brains, break them down and get infiltrated right back into their minds and bodies. It's one thing to throw the cat out. It's the next thing to shut the door or blow the cat away, do something. <laughs> shut the door, repair the screen so the cat can't get in again. And this is the great forte of our ministry. We not only take these pigs out of people's parlors, we teach people how to keep the pigs out of their parlors. We not only take these spirits out of people with the boldness and the love wherewith we speak the word and minister to men and women. Here is the great key here though, how to keep them out. So you're always not going back to square one. You move ahead. It's like a baseball player gets up at the plate, gets a base hit to left center field, runs to first base. Runs back to home. Runs to first and tries to get to second. He's not going to get very far, right? He better keep going if he ever wants to score. That's what you have to do spiritually. You get delivered, now keep moving. Drive the enemy into the ocean. Drive his back up against and clear through the wall. Don't let up on him. Burn the word in your mind. Get energized with that spirit of God working within you and burn the chaff in your life and heart. Push him out of the way. That's the more abundant life. Then we see what he had to get him to. Verse 17, and this was known to all the Judeans and Greeks, also dwelling in Ephesus in fear, respect, fell on them all. <laughs> and the name of the Lord Jesus was what? You betcha. Means it was made bigger in their minds, in their hearts. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts. And this is the whole field of spiritualism, which is still so rampant today and so subtle, and for the most part initiated by the denominations. They're the great swamp breeding grounds of spiritualism today. They move it, instigate it, and catalyze it. They teach there's more than one God. They teach the dead are alive. And after that, there's not too much more important that you teach because you've just laid the groundwork for thousands and millions of spiritual energizings all over the world when that kind of doctrine is infiltrated into people's minds. you got more than one God and you got the dead alive. So now you got room for spirits to fly all over the place. Name them whatever you want to name them. Call them Saint this, Saint that, Jesus this, sweet mama that. Pray to the Blessed Madonna with her precious paps, whatever you want to do. <laughs> And all you're doing is moving devil spirits all over the joint. 
Denominations are the swamp breeding grounds of the spirit realm today. So, everything from commentaries to the seven books of Moses could be in this category. Some more subtle than others, but moved by the adversary. Many of them also which use curious arts. The Ouija boards, the pendants, the tarot cards. The other flipped out junk that moves into people's minds and lives and heads today. Brought their books together and burned them before all. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Well, hi-ho, silver in a way. They flat took a stand. They not only were concerned about getting those evil spirits out, but keeping them out, driving them out, keeping them out of their minds and lives. So what happened? They must have made a good decision. Verse 20, mightily grew the Word of God, and it did what? It dominated. 2 Timothy chapter 1. All through the Word of God, you see men teach these principles, teaching God's people to get rid of the excess, burn the chaff. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, Paul encourages Timothy, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God. That gift of God in this context is the ministries in the church. He had been given ministries to, wherewith to serve in the church. And Paul tells him to stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands, meaning he had trained him and how to operate that ministry, and how to get it energized in his life and moving. And the phrase stir up is a word that means to kindle up a dormant fire, to revive a fire, to kindle a dormant fire. That gift is to be kindled, energized within the church, like a fire energized on the inside. And the fire of that ministry, based on the mutual believing of the believers and the ministries, burns the chaff spiritually, mentally, physically, fries the excess, gets rid of the weight, the heaviness, and allows the Word of God to live and dominate. In 2 Timothy 2, in verse 4, no man that warreth, the word warreth could be more accurately rendered competeth, or labors. It's not militaristic. That's a counterfeit. It's not militaristic. No man that competeth or labors diligently entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. We are to travel light, not to be entangled physically, financially, business-wise, family-wise. Don't be entangled. And mentally and spiritually, we are to travel light not being pulled and tugged on from every source because we're allowing the enemy to infest and infiltrate and infect our environment mentally and our homes. Don't let him infect it. Get rid of the cause of the infection. Like the priest burned the garment to get rid of the leprosy. That he may please him. That's all we care about pleasing. Him who hath chosen him, period, to be a soldier's counterfeit. Scratch it out. It's a forgery that he may please him who hath chosen him to be an athlete for God. You travel fast, you travel light with prowess and agility and skill, not weighted down, agile, mobile, and hostile. That's the way an athlete functions, competitive in his mind and heart, conditioned, talented, and not weighted down by anything that keeps him from performing at his maximum pinnacle of ability and skill. And in Romans 13, you have to travel light because our resources are light. God is light. God in Christ in you is light. The Spirit of God is the light of God in concretion. So when we operate that spirit, that light is energized within us. The spirit that quickens our mortal body, like Romans 8.11 says, causes this fire from within symbolically to burn. And it burns the chaff. What changed Peter? Pentecost! The fire of Christ within him, that's what changed him. 
It burnt the chaff in his life. It burnt the garbage, the fear, the intimidation, the apprehension. It burnt it because he operated the power of God in his life and he got his life simple and went to the one true God and he lived to please him who had chosen him and not anybody else. And he operated these great principles. Pentecost changed him. The fire of God within him. That's why we have a burn the chaff. And in Romans, I say 13, verse 12, the night is far spent. The adversary's been at it for a long time. The day is at hand. Let's wake up and live. Let us therefore cast off by your freedom of will. Cast off the works of darkness. Burn that junk that weights you down. Stick your neck out and fry it. Bring it to ashes so you can live. And let us put on, King James says, the armor of light. Armor's counterfeit. Put on the resources of light. The light equipment, which is the resources of Christ in you, the hope of glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Military armor is heavy. That's why the military terminology, generally speaking in the church epistles, is counterfeit. It's forgeries. Armor, shield, uh, sword, all that malarkey. It's counterfeit. We are athletes. Athlete can't travel with armor on his back. He can't move. An athlete doesn't need any armor. He's not out to kill anybody anyway. He's out to compete. You can't kill a devil spirit. You ever tried? We compete against them. And we get rid of them. That's why the accuracy of the Word of God is we are athletes of the Spirit. And the military nomenclature is all Old Testament. If you put yourself under that, you're putting yourself under the law. You might as well physically put on all that armor for what you're doing for yourself spiritually. Resources of an athlete is the conditioning of his body. His loins, heart, and feet. Putting on a football helmet doesn't make you a football player. Picking up a javelin doesn't make you a javelin thrower. First and foremost, your body has to be conditioned, like Ephesians 6 says, in loins, heart, feet, as streamlined, as conditioned, the excess flab eliminated as possible. Burn up the flab so you can develop the muscle. The same thing's true with a physical athlete as it is true in why we teach you to burn the chaff. It's a misunderstanding in people's thinking that in physical exercise, fat turns into muscle. That is not true. That's a lie. No more than the fat spiritually in your life can turn into spiritual strength. It either is or it isn't. The stuff hanging around you. The fat has to be burned off then the muscle is developed same way spiritually. You have to get rid of the excess, get rid of the flab, get rid of the chaff. It ain't never going to turn into doing you any good. Then spiritually you can develop and move. Same thing. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 7. Verse 6, by pureness, that's what, it that's what you get when you burn it. By knowledge, the knowledge of this word by long-suffering, by kindness, by Panuma Hagion, Holy Spirit in manifestation. That's what energizes the fire from within. By love uncontaminated. Uncontaminated. Don't allow your mind to be contaminated or your love is contaminated. By the word of truth, the javelin. By the power of God, the resources of Christ within, the athlete. And then by the armor, by the resources of righteousness. Ephesians 6 says our heart is to be strengthened with righteousness. The resources of righteousness on the right hand and on the what? It's an ambidextrous implement. It is capable of meeting any and all comers. The resources of Christ within. The great basketball players can go with their left hand or their right hand. Shoot, dribble, move the ball, pass with the left or the right hand just like the great athletes for God. We are ambidextrous spiritually. We are not limited. We have developed ourselves sufficiently, burning the flab, burning the excess, getting rid of the chaff, so that we can compete as conditioned, disciplined, streamlined, 
agile, mobile, hostile, traveling light, athletes for God. Burn it so your resources can flourish. Father, thank you for another wonderful night here at the Way International. Thank you for the joy and privilege of the clearness of your word, the clarity and alacrity of precision within it. And thank you for the greatest people in the world, Father, the people of the way that love you and they love this word, and that's why people keep coming. That's why they're going to keep coming and keep coming to hear the greatness of truth and why they're going to be in that word over the world auditorium. And thank you, Father, that two weeks from tonight we can see the greatest burning two weeks from today that we've ever had in our ministry. Just a whole lightness is expressed and there's a great heaviness just lifted off the hearts and minds of your people that they can live in this great deliverance and walk in the precision of life as your athletes in the name of Jesus Christ, our living Lord and champion for all time. Amen. Thank you. That was wonderful. You know, we've taught our people for years, if you want to travel fast and far, you got to travel light. Can't afford to carry any burdens on your back or any other place. I know from the teaching again tonight, everybody understands chap, but I do not believe some of you may understand it in the sense in which some of the rest of us do. Those of us that were raised on the farm and lived through the days when we had thrashing machines that thrashed the oats and the wheat. We know what chaff is because, and even today with the combines, I think this summer if I'm here and they're combining wheat or oats or in one of our farms, I'll take the core out there and make you walk behind the combine for real close, about five feet, and you'll know within five minutes what chaff is. <laughs> because the combine cleans off the outside of it, the chaff part, uh, and leaves the grain, the wheat or the oats. And then the chaff comes out of the back, fanned out on the field. So that's what chaff is. And Of course, today we just let it on the field and plow it under, but in biblical times, they had little scoops and they threw it up in the air on a windy day and then the, the wind would blow the chaff to the side and the wheat would fall down. We have a beautiful picture in our collection from India of people just doing that on a stack of wheat. If I'd have thought about it, I might have dug it out and put it on video for you tonight, but I, my hindsight was better than my foresight. Didn't think about it till I heard Craig teach. Well, next Sunday will be the last Sunday in here, as you know. And next Sunday night, by God's mercy and grace, I will be teaching. But the reason I really want to be here next Sunday night, not only to teach, because I want to recognize next Sunday night our two wonderful people, Dorothy at the organ and Rhoda at the piano, that have meant so much to my life and to the ministry that has blessed your life. So next Sunday night will be a wonderful recognition for two of my most favorite people. So if I get through it without crying too much, we'll do all right next Sunday night. So bring some of your friends along and if you got any enemies, get them to be friends by next Sunday. So in the light of the great teaching tonight, number 29 we'll close with, I am resolved. Here we go, take it away, Dorothy. Everybody, first word, here we go.
bless you. Thank you for coming to the Way International tonight. And have a wonderful week all week. Don't forget to pray for us. We will pray for you this week too, okay? Good night. God bless. We love you. Thank <laughs> you.